Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. This series is a double-down, chips-all-in, sink-or-swim series for our church. Today, uh, we dare to dream. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and put that uh, image up there, that one down. Uh, today, we dare to dream, and we ask the question, what if? Uh, we dream about what is possible, and we dream about our future, and we dream about what God can do through a group of believers that will come together and be unified in one cause to advance His kingdom in our community. Years ago, Congress introduced uh, something that was called the DREAM Act that uh, would allow uh, undocumented immigrants to have legal status uh, if they were brought in as children into the states. And out of that uh, DREAM Act came the term dreamers. Now, regardless of what your political views are on that act, the, the term dreamers highlighted the hopes and the dreams of people who came to this country seeking their destiny or a blessing or a, a, a new hope, and they risked everything to come here. And so today, we become dreamers as a church. We become dreamers of a future hope and a future destiny and a future blessing. We become dreamers of ministries that have not yet been formed. We become dreamers of people who have not yet been reached. We become dreamers of communities who have never heard about us or homes that have never heard about us. We become dreamers of a future not yet obtained. Dreamers of God's kingdom established among us, we become dreamers who I hope will be all in in the pursuit of this dream. And so today, I'm asking that you become a dreamer with me. Uh, The world's always had dreamers. It's always had men and women who refused uh, to settle for the status quo. Men and women who pushed past the naysayers and the skeptics and the dream killers to uh, reach out for that which some said was impossible to dream about that which science could not comprehend or technology could not even support or those in society could not even grasp and pushed against. All of the great innovations and monumental changes that has occurred in industry or a nation or even in an ideology were first just simple ideas of the mind or dreams that were in the hearts of men and women who asked why and who asked why not. The world that we live in today has been shaped by the dreamers of yesterday. Dreamers who were criticized and who were slandered and ridiculed and arrested and sometimes removed from society and at times were even removed from the church. I'm asking you today to dream with me and what God might do through us in our community. And so here's to the crazy ones, the misfits and the rebels and the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them. You can disagree with them. You can glorify or vilify them. But the one thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are the crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. And so today I'm asking that you would be crazy enough to believe that our small church can change our corner of the world. Join me as we pray.
Father, we invite you to just rest upon us and to move upon us. We invite your presence and your spirit to be here in a way that is strong and powerful. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what we cannot do on our own. I pray that you would speak over us and speak to us and that you would move us and change us and that you would place us on the path that you want us to be. I pray that you would reveal to us that each of us as individuals are the object of your love and your desire is to, is to rain down that love upon us. And so today we pray for that. We pray for you to come, Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think of Jesus just for a moment as a dreamer. Uh, Now, I know that he uh, is God and whatever he declares uh, comes to pass, but uh, just work with me and move with me here to think of Jesus as a dreamer. And, and he, he calls together his disciples and he speaks of a dream or a vision that he is laying out for them but also for us. In Matthew 16, we will unpack it where he says, upon this rock I will build something. What he says, upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That word church there is, is um, ecclesia. And the idea is really that it's just an assembly. So Jesus is saying that upon this rock, upon a truth that I am the Son of God, that I will build my assembly. The literal meaning of this in a non-religious term is people who were called out of their homes and called into a public arena for a gathering. And so now Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia, I will build my assembly, those who will be called out, not out of their homes, but will be called out of the world to a public space to represent me. You are part of that verse. I, we are part of that verse. We are part of the assembly called out of the world into a public space to represent Jesus and all that he stands for. Jesus says, my assembly I will build it. And no matter what the gates of hell can bring against it, it will never be conquered. And the church called into existence by Jesus himself has endured 2,000 years regardless of the government, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the spiritual climate, whether it was spiritually ripe, spiritually dry, or even spiritually hostile. Today, our church reveal you and I, because you are the church, We are part of the blood and sacrifice of men and women who embrace the calling as the church. And now we continue in that calling. Hebrews says that we are part of what Hebrews says is a great cloud of witnesses that all of those who have gone before us, you get the imagery of them looking down and rooting us on that we stand on the shoulders of giants, of those who have gone before us. And today we dream of laying a foundation that will one day allow others to stand upon our shoulders. This week I was thinking back to my time at the church I was at that we started Reveal from, uh, Vineyard North Phoenix. I was part of that church for 20 years, on staff for 14, uh, invested everything, whether on staff or as a volunteer, for my entire time there. And I was thinking today that 
There are people in that church who have never met me, who don't know my name, who have never heard me speak, who have never heard me lead worship. There are people there who have no idea who I am, and yet the church that they love is because of the church that I invested in. And I don't say that with any arrogance or any pride, if you know me. That's not who I am. But the reality of it is, is there's a church there of people who are coming to faith, who are standing on my shoulder, as I am standing on the shoulders of others who were there even before I was there. And so today, I am asking that you would dream with me 25, 50, 75 years into the future after most of us are gone. And there's a group of people who are coming to faith who may never know our name, and yet they're standing on our shoulders because we decided that God can do something special through a small group of believers in surprise. This is what happens when the church comes together and dreams and functions and lives as the church. Today, we are that assembly. We are the church, and we join assemblies around the globe to represent Jesus Christ as the one true hope of the world. Bill Heibel says, I share this quote often because I love it. He says, I believe that there is nothing like the local church when it is working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and it heals the broken in the text of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and open arms for the forgotten and the downtrodden and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction and frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and for wholeness. He concludes, still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing comes close. I want to unpack this idea for us. And then we'll circle back around to our dream and what that looks like for us today. Paul speaks of the church in Ephesians 3. Uh, We'll put it on the screen if you have your Bibles or a smart device that you want to look it up. We'll be in Ephesians 3 reading a good chunk of that chapter. Paul says this, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. We're going to break this down, unpack it. I'm going to read through all of it first. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. His intent was now, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. Guys, I think we're on the wrong slide there. Thank you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's unpack this a little bit. Verse 6, it says, This mystery is that through the gospel. Remember I told you before, the gospel simply means good news. What is the good news? The good news is that God is active in redeeming mankind through the work of Jesus Christ. He says, this is the mystery through the gospel. Look at the next part. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Look at the word together in one body, how it, how it jumps out. Now Paul uses the metaphor of the body often when he's speaking about the assembly or the church. It's interesting because in our bodies there are 37 million cells. And in order for my body to work together at its best, 37 or 37 trillion cells need to work together in order for my body to operate at its best. And then God has the audacity to refer to his assembly as the body of Christ as if he actually believes and desires that trillions of believers would work together as one in one cause for one purpose, that we would move as one body to highlight the things of God among us. Paul tells us this is the assembly. This is the church, that the last are esteemed as much as what was once considered privileged. It says that this is the mystery that is through the good news, the gospel. Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. If you were a Jew at this time, you were the chosen one of God, and you were kind of an elitist about that, because you were in, which meant the Gentiles were out. And Paul blows that up. He says, no, no, no. In this new assembly, the least among you is as valued as those who were seen as the most esteemed, that we are members together of one body and shares together. This is what the assembly begins to look like. And then something remarkable begins to happen when the assembly is together. Look at verse 10. His intent, this is mind-blowing. His intent was that now, through the church, remember he's writing to a church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities and heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you ever want to impress someone, just drop the phrase, the manifold wisdom of God. You don't even need to know what it means, but just say, I think it has something to do with the manifold wisdom of God. They'll be like, dang, you're smart, right? So it's talking about the manifold wisdom of God. It's the intricacies of God. It means many colored or wrought with, with, with many details, that it cannot just be labeled in a single descriptor. Now listen to the passage again. His, God's intent, it's his intention, was that now through the church, this is you, you're the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who? Not to the unbelievers. It's it's crazy. Would be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose 
that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The scripture expresses this thought that staggers the mind's ability to comprehend and appreciate. Now listen. The scripture states that there are angelic beings that come to understand more deeply the intricacies of God's wisdom by seeing what God has done in the church. Listen, you want, you, you, you want some weight to be placed on your shoulders about how important the church is? The, the, the idea here is that you, you get this imagery that the angelic beings were watching throughout history. They had a front row seat to creation. They see the temptation. They see sin enter into the world and all of the havoc that it brought. They see the chaos and they see the hatred and, and, and they see the results of sin on humanity and the deceit and the genocide and disasters upon the earth. And then finally God steps down to the earth to make things right and then he's crucified. But then he's raised three days later but then he leaves. And you get this idea that at some point they're scratching their heads saying, God, are you sure you have this under control? As if the plan of God was concealed throughout the ages during which the divine plan was coming to fruition. And Paul says, listen, Paul says, the manifold wisdom of God's plan is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm through you, the church. The imagery of angelic beings looking over the curve of the earth to see how only God could bring together the flawed and the broken and sinful people for something as beautiful called the church. It's almost as if these angelic beings have an aha moment where they're like, I get it. Notice, notice where it says, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, you, as part of this church, are part of the eternal purpose of God, that it was always his intent that the church would not accomplish some of what he wants to accomplish, but would accomplish all of what he wants to accomplish. You want some weight placed upon our shoulders as being part of the church. This is you. This is me. The eternal purpose, the eternal intention of God was always that you as the church, as the assembly, would carry his kingdom forward. This is what we have today. If this doesn't stir you at all, then you may want to take a step back and see how much Jesus permeated you. Because this is the church that he came to establish. And that through the church, angelic beings are like, I get it. God is amazing at what he's always had planned. There was a time I wasn't sure God knew what he was doing. Obviously, they never said that. I'm taking liberties. <clears throat> but now we get it. We see what God was doing all of this time leading up to the assembly known as the church. Verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Whoever told you to avoid God in fear, they lied to you. Verse 16 and 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, listen, one of the challenges we have when reading scripture is we interpret all of scripture as being written to me, singular. So when we read it, we insert myself, we insert me into it. 
which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Certainly scripture applies to you as an individual. It's profitable for teaching, for correction. Uh, you know, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that. But we can miss the greater uh, treasure of scripture when we lift it out of its original context. And so just back up for a moment and ask, who is this passage written to? It is written to the church at Ephesus, not to a man named Ephesus. It would be as if Paul wrote a letter to all of us and I was reading it out to you. It was written to the church. It's to a community. And Paul says, I pray not just for you as an individual, but I pray for the church to grasp this. The power of the prayer is not just for me, but it's for a we. It's for us. It's who he was writing to. His prayer is that God would pour his spirit out upon the church, upon us, together, collectively. Now, in our secluded Western culture, we want God to pour into me. But in order for you to have everything God wants you to have, you cannot just be a me, you have to be a we. You have to be part of an us, is what Paul is saying here. Now, we don't like that because if God doesn't give everything to me, it means that I need you and you need me, and we don't like that type of thinking. But that is his design, that if you want all of God, you need to be part of an us, part of the assembly, part of the local Christ-carrying body of, of, of Jesus Christ that represents him, not only to the world, but also to a host of angelic beings that look down and say, God is amazing. He goes on, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, notice the word again, together, together, it's the church, with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, filled with everything that God would have for you. Now listen, stop living on an empty spiritual tank. Paul is saying, look, part of the we, part of the us, is that God would pour everything he wants to into you. And some of us have just enough Jesus in us to make us not an atheist. Some of us have just enough Jesus in us to make us not a Buddhist. But not enough Jesus in us to make us anything else. And Paul is saying, look, it's the fullness of God that wants to rest upon his assembly. He offers not just a little bit of Jesus, not a taste of God, not a sampling of God, not just an appetizer of Jesus. He wants you to understand the fullness of what God has for you, for me. And notice how it happens. It happens together. And maybe it's because it's bigger than just one heart can contain. That your faith in Jesus was never meant to be a faith lived in isolation. Together, we reflect the fullness of God. This means that, yes, I need God, but I also need you. And you need God, but you also need me. And I belong to God, but I also belong to you. And you belong to God, but you also belong to me. And that is the way the assembly was supposed to work. And then Paul summarizes it with, this beautiful verse, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We love this verse and we quote this verse. But I want you to see the verse that this, the context that this verse is dropped into. It's wrapped around the church. And yes, you can claim that for yourself and you can pray it. I got no issues with that. But when Paul spoke it, it was wrapped in his speaking about the church. And Paul says, I believe that God can do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine when the assembly comes together in the way that it is supposed to come together. When this happens, he brings all of us together with a common intention. All of our imagination, all of our dreams, all of our desires brought together in unity. And when this happens, we, listen, we come together and we become the platform where God does immeasurably more than what we could ever imagine. That is the platform of the church. What you can accomplish alone pales in comparison what we can accomplish together. I'm asking that you would dream with me that this verse would be our verse. I'm asking that you would dream with me and that together our hearts would be knit as the assembly is meant to be. And that together we would dream and be united and together we would see in our midst that God would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in us, through us, the local body known as Reveal. I believe God wants to do immeasurably more in this church. I believe that we have been assembled for such a time as this. I believe that what we have accomplished as a church, and I've been going over everything, writing it down that we've done for the last four weeks, and there's a list of it. I have to present it on Tuesday to the city council members. But I believe that what we have accomplished as a small church has only scratched the surface of what God has planned for us. And so I'm asking that you would dream with me. Go to that first image. I'm asking that you would dream that this space could become ours. This is the old fresh and easy space on Dysart and Greenway. I'm I'm asking that you would dream and believe that together God would move us into this place that he could do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine on our own. Go to that next image. You see, see that, uh, that availability sign there on that? Go to the next image. I want it to look like this in a couple months. I want to see a big old fat reveal sign on there. And in case you're wondering if this is really what God has for us, go to the next image. There is a donut shop and a little Caesar just six pads down. Hey, if that's not God, I don't know what else is. At least for those of us that are chunky. I'm asking that you would dream with us. Listen, logic would say if you're going to start a church, you move the church out west. Because that's where all the new construction is. And I've wrestled with that, just to be honest with you. The rational business side of me that, you know, says, hey, all the construction is this way. That's where we need to try to go. And I, there's always people in the church coming around. My wife being one of them kept saying, that's not who we are. That we have, by design, sown into a community that has largely been forgotten. I don't know of many other churches that have invested the time, energy, and money like we have into that community. 
I'll share it all with you in two weeks. And so as we take a step back, it's in front of the, the school that we put our first resource room is in. And so now I ask that you would dream with me about ministries that we've never started and after-school tutoring and monthly food drops to the needy and whatever else God may bring us to bear fruit in. It's a 14,000 square foot space. There's lots of room on each side. Assuming nobody rents it, there's lots of room to expand. At some point, I would uh, be interested. Go back to that, uh, one of those other, yeah, that's a better image. Uh, at one point, at some point, you know, I'd like to try to do what Calvary did. And, you know, maybe we buy that entire center and work our way into it. It's 14,000 square feet. Um, it will look vastly different. You're in a 1,302-seat auditorium right now. Uh, we'll go to about 400-plus seats, uh, some of which will have uh, specialty seating with some you know, couches, things like that, and some of the corners and stuff. It's going to be kind of eclectic, but we're really working to try to make it uh, uh, what we're terming a, a holy space, that when you come in, that there's an expectancy to meet with God. We'll have all of the children's classrooms and the cry room and uh, the lobby and you know, coffee location and there's room for outdoor cafe seating and, and such like that. But it will give us an opportunity to function as a seven-day-a-week church, which we've never had for eight years. And so I'm asking that you would dream with us. And here's what it's going to require. Give me six minutes and I'll have you out. Here's what it's going to require. It's going to require your buy-in our buy-in. In any business organization or church family or relationship, there's three levels of buy-in. The first is, is that I believe in this enough to benefit from it. I believe in the relationship enough to benefit from it. I believe in the business enough. I believe in the organization. Or I believe in the church enough to benefit from it. But once the benefits expire, I'm out and I'm on to another relationship. I'm in a new organization, another marriage, or another church. The second one is, I believe in this enough to contribute comfortably. At Christmas time, Salvation Army is out in front of most stores. and You know, it's giving some change or maybe some dollars that you might have. And you drop it in as you go. And you're willing to contribute and you believe in the cause enough to contribute comfortably. But, 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 but if, if somebody asks you to actually change something about the way that you're living, well, that may be a little bit of a different situation. I'm willing to invest in the relationship as long as I have benefits and as long as it's comfortable, but as soon as it stops being comfortable, I'm withdrawing from the relationship, from the organization, from the church, whatever it might be. That's our second level of buying. I believe in this enough to contribute comfortably. This is uh, you know, conversations that I've had with uh, individuals in this church going a couple years back, they're no longer in the church, who came to me and said, I love Reveal. I love it's changing me. And I was like, fantastic. And they're like, I'd like to serve. I'm like, I'd love for you to serve. And I said, would you, would you become part of our greeter team? This was back when we had one service at 10 o'clock. I said, can you be part of our greeter team? And they were like, well, what time do I need to arrive? I said, 9.30. And they're like, ah, oh, that's early. And they said, said this, when you start an 11 o'clock service, let me know. This is, I believe in the church enough to contribute as long as I'm comfortable. And then there's a third level. And that is, I believe in the vision enough 
to do whatever is needed to see it succeed. Go to that last one, please. I believe in this enough to do whatever is needed to see it succeed. These are the people who say, I just don't only believe in the company or the organization or the vision or the church, that I'm willing to act on my belief and be a fully engaged participant in order to see whatever it is reach its full potential. These are the ones that say, I will fight for this vision. I will give sacrificially. I will lead with or without a title. Some of our best leaders have been those who have led without a title. That I will serve even when it costs me something. Because I believe in what God is doing that much. The only way anything will rise to its full potential is with a level three buy-in. A marriage or a family or a business with a level one buy-in closes its doors in a matter of time. A church with a congregation of level one buy-in, they close their door after a matter of time. I'm asking that we as an assembly would become a level three buy-in church. Now, if you know me, I'm cashing in some currency with you right now. Because if you know me, you know in eight years, the amount of times that I've talked about money, you can count on one hand. You know that I have never strong-armed you. I have never tried to guilt you into anything. It's not who I am. I don't want to be associated with, with, with those in the religious circles that have done, you know, guilted people. That's, that's just that's not I'm, who I am. This is me. I'm cashing that in now. Because we're going to have to raise some money to make this happen. And in order for it to happen, it's going to take some level three buy-in. And I know that's uncomfortable. Jesus knew something when, 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 he, when he brought up, you know, that you can't serve two masters. You know, money and God. He could have said anything. Sex and God, you know, fame and God. He knew that money would have a way of grabbing our heart. For eight years, I have never pushed it on you. I have never strong-armed you in it. And I'm hoping that out of the integrity of who I am, that over the next several weeks when we start talking about our dreams and what it's going to take, that we are all in this together. Willing to do whatever is needed in order that God would do immeasurably more than what we could ask or we could think. I do believe that our best days are ahead of us. I'm asking that you would dream with me. For the next three or four weeks, uh, we're going to talk about what these look like. Uh, we're going to hear next week of what the church is doing in India. We're going to uh, talk about what we're doing locally. And I want to lay all of that out for you. I want you to see what your church is, which is difficult for me because you know I have a difficult time promoting reveal. I've told you before, I had someone ask me, my, my pastoral coach said, why should someone come to reveal instead of the church down the road? And I was like, I, I, maybe they could go to the church down the road if they're preaching salvation under Jesus. He says, yeah, I get it. He said, but... But you have to give the people a reason to be here, which I struggle with because I'd rather promote Christ than us. And I kind of had to take a step back to say, you know what, I need you to know more of what we're doing because we're doing it together. So in a couple weeks, I just want to lay all that out for you. And I hope in a very real sense that you can kind of begin to comprehend what God has already done and what God will be doing in our future. And so here's what you can do. You can pray for our... Uh, zoning review on Tuesday at 6 o'clock. You can maybe show up. You might have to stand outside. 
I'll know you're there when I speak. I'll say, hey, we got 100 people outside just so you're aware. Uh, you can begin to pray for that. And I would ask that you would begin to pray about what your role is in us moving forward. You see, level three buying is not just about our finances. Level three buying is that everybody in this church is doing something to make it work so that when we go in there, the new people that come, and typically they say statistics or church grows by 30% when they go into a new place, is that we have a core of volunteers that are serving those people that are coming in because one day, in 25, 50, 75 years when I'm long and gone, and when many of you are gone, there will be people who are discovering Jesus for the first time, and they will be standing on your shoulders. Because you were part of the assembly that reflected the manifold wisdom and goodness and love of God to communities around us. Stay seated as we pray. I'm going to have just a time of silence here for a moment. And I don't know what God spoke to you about. I don't know what you're feeling or what you're sensing. Would you just take a moment and begin to speak to God in a very normal way? Ask God to show you what His action is for you. Maybe it's to volunteer somewhere now. Maybe it's going to be regarding finances. Maybe it's how you support your regroup leader or some of the pastors in this church. Would you ask that God would birth an excitement and excitement in you about what he might do through us. Holy Spirit, we present our future to you and for you to lead us and to guide us in whatever way you would see fit. But I pray that we, as the reveal assembly, that we would reflect the wisdom of God and the goodness of God and the love of God and the plan of God and that we would embrace your eternal intent for the church. And we are the church. We pray you would do immeasurably beyond what we could ask or think. In us as an assembly, but in us as individuals as well, that as we step into this moment, that our spiritual fire would be ignited. To you be all glory and all honor and all praise among your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm glad that you're here. I hope to see you next week as we continue uh, on this. Please be in prayer for Tuesday. Maybe I'll see you out there Tuesday. Remember, it's the Elmiraz uh, City Courthouse building. Uh, it is uh, just by uh, the Dysart Community Center 
off of uh, El Mirage. You'll, uh, the, the road, you'll run right into it uh, just off of Waddell. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to have someone pray for you.